Hey guys, and welcome to season two of our podcast, Generation Collaboration. We are so excited to be here today. Uh, my name is Sanakshi. And I'm Brayden. And we're your new podcast host for a rebranded podcast. If you listen to season one, you heard them talk a lot about youth leadership. And this season, we are focusing more on change. How can youth across Colorado and even the U.S. create change through leadership, communication, and connection? So today, we're going to be speaking with Riley Ruff, a Colorado Young Leader alumni, and Vanessa Roberts, the executive director of Project Voice. We hope you enjoy. And if you haven't already, subscribed to our podcast and follow us on social media at CO Young Leaders. Hope you enjoy this episode of Generation Collaboration. Flying by the western sea I let the sky bury me Alrighty, well, would you mind introducing yourselves to the audience? We'll start with Riley. Hi everyone, my name's Riley. Um, I graduated in 2020 um, from both CYL and from high school. I joined CYL in 2016 as a freshman, um, and now as a college student, I am a summit guide for CYL, which is one of the adult mentors. I'm a student at Colorado State University studying ecosystem science and sustainability. Awesome. Very good. So you were a COVID graduate? I was a COVID graduate. Oh, that's that's a fun class for it you. Was, <laughs> it was really interesting. I cannot say I miss it. So I'm sure. All right, Vanessa, how about you? Yeah. So, so glad to be here, y'all. My name is Vanessa Roberts. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Executive Director of Project VOICE. Our acronym is Voices of Youth Creating Equity. So our organization was founded back in 2006. I was really fortunate. I first met the org in 2016, so kind of an important year, right? (laughs) Um, I first joined as a volunteer and a facilitator, um, helping out with some research work related to increasing the rigor of the curriculum, our summer leadership curriculum. I joke that I fell in love and just never left, and now they pay me. Uh, (laughs) But I became the executive director in May of 2019. So most of my leadership has really been shaped by responding to the pandemic and Mm -hmm. figuring out how do you keep a nonprofit afloat, right? Like, what's your focus? What's your mission in the midst of this big crisis? But yeah, I graduated high school in 02. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I had a really non-traditional journey. I started at community college in Glenwood Springs, and then I went to Colorado College to finish my bachelor's, mm-hmm. got really lucky and had a great mentor there who forced me to apply to grad school. Mm-hmm. So I got into Tisch at NYU. Oh, did. Nice. Oh, I remember I reading about that. <laughs> it's, a little, it's still a little bit surreal. Um, but I lived <laughs> in New York for a couple of years, did my master's, and then came back to Colorado and started a doctorate at CU Boulder a couple years wow. later, which I've placed on hold okay. <laughs> since 2019, pretty much, and am just now picking it back up. But my dissertation research was actually in partnership with Project Voice. So lots of love and, yeah, I get to be, you know, living the applied scholar's dream of seeing what we can do right. to really advance models of youth development. That's awesome. So what's your dissertation on specifically? My, oh, goodness gracious. Y'all would ask me that. Right? <laughs> Here's the elevator pitch, right? So my dissertation is really trying to look at what are the structures and processes that facilitate youth okay. being able to make the changes they want to see, to be able to think of themselves capable of leadership, capable of advancing social change. And what I've really come to find out in 
my opinion is that it really focuses mostly on the quality of the youth at all partnerships and really trying to teach young folks what I've coined as strategic agency. So not this, you know, blowing smoke and like, y'all can change the world and do anything and there's no obstacles, Mm -hmm. but like trusting y'all and respecting y'all's intelligence to say, look, there are some structural barriers. There are some structural hurdles. What's the best strategic way to exercise the autonomy and agency you have, often in partnership with adults who might have more access to resources or et cetera, in actually, um, excuse me, in order to actually be effective. So that's the sneak peek, y'all. That's That's a good topic. I like that. And that's like what our podcast is really focusing on is how we as Gen Z can connect with, you know, the baby boomers and the millennials and reach out to other people to help us succeed, help them further succeed and help those after us learn how to succeed. So that's awesome how we're kind of all like. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that you mentioned, you know, that there's not one clear path for youth to take and it's constantly changing. And the reality is there are obstacles. And um, I think especially with, you know, this generation or Gen Z, you know, becoming the new leaders of our society, we really look up to um other generations, you know, for inspiration, for motivation, for leadership, because we have really big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. We do. So Riley, um, in your like studies with environmental science, right, and how you like to um, make change in the environment, have you ever worked with an adult who's really just pushed you and helped you succeed in ways you didn't think you could? Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Um That has been a really imperative cornerstone of my journey, especially through CYL and now where I am currently. Um, Shout out Lauren, our program Mm -hmm. director at CYL. (laughs) Um, When I joined CYL, um, I remember a very specific interaction. We were at base camp, which is the event that the Youth Advisory Board puts on every year. And I was talking to Lauren with my best friend, and I remember Lauren looked at us, and she was like, what are you interested in? And I was like, oh, environmentalism. And she was like, oh, what are you going to do about it? And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and she looked at me, and she goes, well, you can do something about it. You can plan an event. You can mm-hmm. create a campaign. And it was really that moment and the following like development of the event that my best friend and I had put on later that year that really showed me that we do have the power to make change. Um, And Lauren was really the first adult who looked at me and said, you can actually do that. And then gave me the resources in the space to pursue it. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. What are some, I guess, projects or things that you guys have been working on recently to further, I guess, push, you know, like environmentalism or um, push the youth a part of your nonprofit towards things they're passionate about? In addition to being an adult mentor for CYL, I also work for 350 Colorado, which is an environmental justice organization based in Denver. Um, I'm the coordinator for the Northern Colorado branch. So a lot of what I've been doing um, kind of in conjunction with that coordinator work is working on building the youth aspect of all of the actions 350 Colorado does. So... um, something that I took away from CYL that I really try to implement in those youth-driven spaces is really listening to what students have to say and 
taking on whatever kind of resource or help they need so that they have a clearer path to get to mm -hmm. their goals. So something we're working on right now is the Youth VGov campaign. And I don't know if you all or the listeners are familiar with that case, but 21 plaintiffs um, sued the federal government for inaction on climate change, and a documentary was made about it. So that's something that we have been working on creating a campaign around that has been youth-driven. Um, and I was part of that space, very grateful to be part of that space, um, in helping to create this campaign and get that um, documentary screened at a variety of different schools. And it has been headed by some really amazing youth volunteering at 350. So something that I've been really trying to emphasize is this idea that, like, if you want something to happen, if you want this campaign to look a certain way or mm -hmm. if there's a barrier that you've identified between what you want to accomplish and your end goal, it is our job, myself and the other adults in the space, to make that happen and to kind of um, not only empower the students to take on that challenge, but also make it a little bit easier and providing any resource we can to do that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's a great campaign to be working on. So it's really incredible. Thank you. It's really incredible. <laughs> I'm in awe of all of the work that they're doing. So. That's awesome, especially yeah. against the federal government. That's yeah. quite the that's quite the opponent right there. Yeah, it's been um, amazing, and we actually have the opportunity to be talking with one of the plaintiffs um, <laughs> as part of the campaign, and they're fantastic, like oh, amazing sure. youth activists, and they're really putting in the work to make it happen. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So on my end, it's really interesting because I used to be fully embedded in program space, right? And when I was more involved in curriculum design and direct facilitation support, my goal there was to really leverage what's called youth participatory action research methods mm -hmm. as a way of democratizing access to research, access to knowledge, and really increasing sort of the, not increasing, but just amplifying the message that young folks are experts in their own experience. Right. Right. And so for me, one of the biggest struggles as I sort of walk this line between like academia and like the real world in a way, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk too much shade, but you know, uh, a little bit, I have some feelings. Um, one of the big things was folks don't take young people seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Five years ago, the big push was, well, if we can give young folks the research skills, if we can give them the public presentation skills to then present their findings, their you know policy recommendations, et cetera, then that's enough. Mm -hmm. But after being in this leadership role now since 2019, what's really dawned on me is the necessity to actually bake into Project Voice's organizational model the necessary shift that gets us from being youth-serving to co-leading with youth. So what yes. are the changes that need to happen mm -hmm. so that we're held accountable, like the adults on my staff, because we also have several young folks and uh, youth alumni on my team as well. Mm -hmm. But I want it to be baked into our model that young folks are the ones driving our choices and driving right. our decisions and holding us accountable. And so at the level I'm at now, really the big project is looking at how do we integrate the principles of healing justice mm -hmm. into the practice of what we call transformative youth development and to have that codified and baked into our organizational structures and procedures. 
which is a pretty huge lift. Mm-hmm. But it comes from listening to our young folks really, really deeply, especially during the pandemic, about a lack of access to culturally responsive mental health and wellness supports. Right. Not everybody's comfortable with like traditional like Western clinical approaches. Mm-hmm. And we're losing out on some of those really powerful community-rooted, arts-based, like ancestral cultural healing practices. Mm-hmm. And so if if you were to ask me what makes me most excited at Project <laughs> Voice right now, um, I get really, really jazzed thinking about the work of our healing justice cohort. Mm-hmm. So we have seven young folks who are working with a youth adult partnership pair. Okay. So these are uh, incredible um adult staff member and a youth alum staff member who are leading these seven young folks through a journey of trying to figure out what are the type of interventions that's super like grant language, right? But what are the types of like (laughs) programmatic pieces Mm -hmm. or elements that they want to see adopted into our programming model, adopted into our youth organizing model, and then adopted into Project Voice as a whole. And that just brings me so, so much joy because that's the healing justice work. But then we also have some really cool youth co-designers, is what we're calling it right now, who are really driving the change with other um, revisions or evolutions happening throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's awesome that you're letting like youth take initiative and kind of redesign it and how they feel. Because I feel like especially from everything I've seen with all the projects I've worked on and places I volunteered is especially during COVID, youth have come up with some great ideas. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to share it. They mm-hmm. don't have the the skills, the resources, the mm-hmm. connections, whatever mm-hmm. it is to get their ideas out there. And they don't have that adult person to partner with or have like a mentorship kind of feel mm-hmm. where they can get their ideas out there because mm-hmm. they, they have some good ideas. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's crazy mm-hmm. how good some people... Like the things they come up with. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of like for for me and for, you know, my org is really looking at equitable youth adult partnerships mm-hmm. and really breaking down what does that mean? It's not that, you know, if I'm an adult partner with like one of y'all, like mm-hmm. I show up and I'm like, you know everything, right? right? I'm just here to like, you know, emotionally support. It's no, it's the adult acknowledging I have a certain set of skills, mm-hmm. a certain set of knowledge experiences. I might know somebody who knows somebody who can get you into the room you need to be in, mm-hmm. right? But then also recognizing I have no idea what it's like to be a teenager right. or like a 20-something in 2022. And I don't want to know, right, <laughs> on like a deep embodied personal level. Like I'm cool. I'm happily in my late 30s, y'all. Mm-hmm. Like I am so looking forward to being an elder. Like I'm here for it. No age shaming. But it's also recognizing, like, I am not tuned in or connected to that actual day-to-day experience. Right. So why would I sit in the, like, office somewhere with other adult colleagues and come up with the stuff that y'all might need? Like, mm-hmm. that whole idea is so absurd to me it, it, Yeah. that it's something where I still get caught off guard sometimes when I engage with adults who don't come from this framework, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so revolutionary. Well, I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's just, not. it's common sense. It's about asking the population you're trying to serve what their needs are mm-hmm. instead of coming in and saying, this is what your needs are. And yeah. that's, 
I feel like a cornerstone of CYL. And like, if you're gonna serve a youth population effectively, you need to go in and ask them, what do they need to succeed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, instead of coming mm -hmm. in and saying, this is what I'm going to give you to help mm -hmm. you succeed. Mm -hmm. And like any sort of partnership, it's a two-way street. Like you just mm -hmm. said, you can't come into the space and say, oh, the youth got it. Like they're just gonna take it away. You have to be there to offer support and offer any advice that you can give. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's how you empower youth to do what they're passionate about and to stand up for what they believe in. It's not about saying, oh, you can just go do this on your own. You have to be willing to step in and support. Right. I like how you said like it's a two-way street because it, it honestly really is because youth have these great ideas and they want to share them and they have the passion to share them, but they don't have the resources. So adults can give that, but adults also can like keep them in check because sometimes mm -hmm. we can get a little... A little out there with our ideas. <laughs> a little um, idealistic. Ambitious. <laughs> it's ambitious. <Right>. ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> but like adults, like they help rein us in. They keep us in the real world. Like sometimes our ideas can't happen yet, but they can happen in the future. But I think working with adults and not like... When I say working with, I mean working with, mm -hmm. you know, not mm -hmm. it's here's what we're going to do. It's here. We're going to do this together. That collaborative learning, mm -hmm. collaborative environment is just mm -hmm. super beneficial when working with youth. And I think that's what youth are looking for these days. Yeah, I feel like especially with like just the interaction between adults and youth is often at least for me, very stigmatized to be like, okay, here's the adult, they're in charge, they want to do this and you do that, because that's just the way I feel like society perceives it in general. And I feel like a lot of like topics, even more specifically within those communities, such as, you know, mental health um, and environmentalism are often like overseen because of things like that. And things that youth are passionate about, I feel, I feel like especially Gen Z with the environment, climate change and mental health, um, a lot of like communities, um, even, you know, like South Asian communities more specific to me, I feel like lack that representation. So I guess my question is, how are you able to provide a comfortable space for those youth to be able to feel like they can talk about this because oftentimes these youth don't have a place where they can go and voice their opinions and talk about mental health because it's so stigmatized, like it's not a real thing or it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. I think at least for me, something I always strive to do, and this stems from my experience in CYL, um, is right before I joined CYL, I'd come out as gay to my family. And that was a very tumultuous process. It did not go well. Mm -hmm. um, and then later after I graduated from CYL, I came out as non-binary. So um, something I try to bring to my chapter now as an adult leader is showing up as authentically as I possibly can. So if that means openly talking about my identity and my experiences and my perception of the world um, and how I go through the world as a non-binary person, that is what I'm going to try to do because um, that's something that really helped me when I was a lot younger to see people showing up authentically in a space. It almost opened the door for me to do the same. And I think that's so crucial when you're focusing on a specific issue. If you don't see people who identify the way you do within that issue and advocating for those same things, it makes it a lot more difficult to show up authentically. And I think I strongly believe that each of our individual identities um, 
enhances how we show up in this space and Mm -hmm. enhances our leadership style and how we tackle an issue. And by being as authentically myself as I can in those spaces, I want to show other people that it's okay to do that too. And hopefully, hopefully be that representation for younger folks who may be experiencing the same challenge as I did. Mm That's awesome. Well, congratulations on coming out. Thank you. (laughs) It's a long process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I resonated with a lot of what you said. I think the the thing that surprised me most when I started working with young folks consistently, and that was in that uh, spring of 2016. Before that, I had done... like workshops or trainings. I did a lot of free work Mm -hmm. for uh, different high schools doing work on what um, I refer to as cultural code switching. Mm -hmm. So this idea that, you know, youth who come from historically under-resourced or historically marginalized communities often don't know those secret rules when you enter into a room, right? Or the sort of the, the code of how to be professional, quote unquote, right? And so I was doing some of these uh, workshops, just really inviting young folks to think about code switching as a strategy mm-hmm. versus just instantly like as a way of selling out and right. just like offering it as an option, not like you have to code switch or else, but naming that for myself as a biracial woman, as a queer biracial woman, right? That mm-hmm. there's a lot of rooms I enter into in which I could be defeated up front. Right. Be like, well, this is not my circle of folks. Right. Like or I could be like, huh, I know enough to disarm you in order to get out of this what I need. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was the strategy for me. But I really like listening to what you were sharing. One of the things and I'll I'll have y'all right before this, I was in the mountains for two weeks (laughs) by myself in my friend's cabin with my dissertation. So like I'm in like geek nerd full out mode. I love it. We're here for it. So another... appreciate it. Oh, goodness. Like another term that I'm sort of playing with trying to figure out is related just to what you were saying. And I I call it a radical vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. That's that's really good. That is so good. That's really good. But it's this idea... Oh, I keep hitting the microphone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I get excited and start to move. But the, the idea behind radical vulnerability is like... In a lot of leadership trainings, like traditional leadership trainings like mm-hmm. that I've undergone as an adult, it's <laughs> you need to pretend like you know what you're doing at all times, right? You need yeah. to not be too emotional, especially as a woman or a woman of color mm-hmm. and like, right, like emotions have no place here. Your personal story has no place here or whatever. But I've been a facilitator for over 10 years. And one of the things I've learned in my facilitation style is the power of story to connect. Oh, and yeah. so. I always used performance pieces. It's another like weird thing in my back pocket. <laughs> I, have, I have like a performance artist background, right? But I would use these like personal narratives of um, like being mixed, of walking between like my mother is super old school German. Mm-hmm. My father is like black African-American from Baltimore, military, right? And like really trying to use that personal story as an invitation. Right. So here's... Because once the reason why I think folks don't like to be vulnerable or don't like to share things about themselves is y'all have probably heard like knowledge is power. Yes. Mm -hmm. The more you know about me, the more you can hurt me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) the more The more I tell you about myself, the more you can like flip that on me (laughs) and like use it to expose me in ways I'm not expecting or whatever, Right. right? And so when I think about 
my first engagement with Project Voice Youth back in the day, it was really surprising to me how long it took for them to know that I meant it Mm -hmm. when I showed up and was like, I'm invested in you. I want to know what you want to do. I care about what you have to say. (laughs) I care about what you like. I'm invest like, and it wasn't an instant like, oh my gosh, yeah, let's do this. It was like a "Mm -hmm, miss. Yep. Yep. That's nice. Right. Yeah. And then you start to create that space by practicing radical vulnerability, which is this like intentional disruption of the power dynamic, Mm -hmm. this intentional disruption of as the quote unquote adult or as Mm -hmm. the leader, as the whatever, I've gone through stuff too. Like this like pretty polished picture, who y'all, right? mm -hmm. (laughs) It takes a while to craft. Right? (laughs) But this is is actually like showing what it took to get here, Mm -hmm. right? And I've been really inspired by some really powerful uh, like black feminist, black queer thinkers like Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, right? And this idea of how do you show up in a space and transform that space? Right. That for me was the magic and the promise of Project Voice and the promise of what we call out of school time spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's for me is how you do it. I think... So as someone who has experience being the student in one of those spaces and the adult mentor in those spaces, it's created like this, like you've been talking about, like this radical vulnerability. Because if you're a student in that space showing that, it gives maybe your close friend or someone you have a personal connection with to do that as well. But if you're the adult showing up in that space with that radical vulnerability, then it almost creates like this openness and this Mm -hmm. precedent to say that, I'm doing it and maybe, maybe the students can do it too. And I think Mm -hmm. as I've kind of transitioned from being a student in CYL to being one of the adult mentors, it's something that I've consciously tried to take into every meeting I go into, every space with other youth I go into to say like, I'm going to show up authentically and then I invite you to do the same. And that's something that, you know, takes time and takes effort and takes persistence, but that's ultimately the kind of environment I want to create. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of it being an invitation Mm -hmm. because you never know what someone is navigating, which might make that safe, never, uh, that space never safe. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of my biggest pushbacks against a lot of the standard, like social, emotional, academic learning things is they're like, create a safe space. And it's like, cool, if you're a young person who's been, like, repeatedly traumatized, Mm -hmm. this is not going to be a safe space. Right. And to, like, artificially impose that is doing more damage. Exactly. It is. I totally agree. You can't force people to open up. I know. You can't offer that space inauthentically or it's just going to create that, like, circle of trauma even more. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to offer a space where you're inviting people to be authentic, you better be authentically yourself as well, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. it's just going to perpetuate that. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I think from everything that I've like seen and experienced, it's been the best way to get other people to open up is open up yourself. Like, Mm -hmm authentically open up, like Riley was Mm -hmm. saying, is you need to share, you need to be vulnerable and you need to put that trust in the people that you're leading that they're not going to like use it against you, but you have to trust them. And that's the hard, I think that's a hard part about being a leader is putting that trust in somebody and, (laughs) and being able to open up and share your personal experiences. Because I know from like adult leaders I've worked with, 
I want them to open up Mm -hmm. because I've opened up to them and they stay that very like old fashioned leader where they're kind of like closed off. They don't show emotion. They don't do. And it's like, I want them to open up because I want to be able to connect with them. Mm -hmm. But when you're that blank face person in the boardroom, like you can't make connections with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At our schools, actually, um, they've implemented this thing called advisory Um, where essentially it's supposed to be an assigned classroom in a space where you feel comfortable talking about all your issues, mental health, um, your sexuality, your race. You should feel comfortable talking about all those things. And I believe they, you know, created this program and put it into our like really school curriculum in order to, um, I think as a way for students to cope with depression initially Mm -hmm. and, but I feel like the approach and what they're doing is a very forced upon approach. And mm-hmm. this is just me speaking from my opinion, but nobody in that classroom feels comfortable talking about anything. It's really, they just show us a video, we listen or maybe don't listen to that video mm-hmm. <laughs> and then proceed with our day. And I feel like there's nothing really coming out of that. Mm-hmm. I liked how you talked about like powerful personal stories to connect with people, because I think that's truly what makes impact and what makes change. Because sitting in a classroom environment, talking about your feelings isn't exactly what's going to create that change. Mm-hmm. Right. And like when you go into it and there's that expectation you have to share. Like that's, that's just so, it's like going backwards in honestly getting people to open up because you feel like you have to share. So then you start overthinking like, oh, I need to share this story that doesn't make me look like I'm super traumatized, but I'm not like, I still have like things kind of figured out, but I ever, everybody else can relate to me because I still went through something, but you know, I, I was, I got out the other side, like not being able to share those authentic personal stories Mm -hmm. is just something that I think leaders can really work towards making Mm -hmm. so that the people under them, the people they're leading can feel safe to share, but then also that leader can share as well, you know? comes back to that two-way street. Mm-hmm. If you're not yeah. going to share, you can't expect other people exactly. to share. So Yeah, and yeah. in terms of like, you know, we talked about vulnerability. If you can't be vulnerable, you can't expect that back. Mm-hmm. And truly in terms of that, I feel like it's incredibly stigmatized to, I guess, for I feel like for men mainly to not show emotion mm-hmm. and for females to always just be super emotional. And I think that's just kind of frustrating a lot of times because, you know, we'll be watching a movie at the movie theater or something and it's a really sad movie and I don't cry and everybody looks at me like I'm so weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think that that just comes back to vulnerability. I, you know, have that forefront that I sometimes have to put on because I don't trust people right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's part of just how we grew up in the 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 society and the culture around America today, it's very much like, you know, men can't show emotion and women, you can only show certain types of emotion, I feel like. And, and I think our generation has done a good job about trying to like combat that and being like, it's okay for, mm-hmm. you know, guys to show emotion and for girls not to cry at a movie and for guys to cry at that movie. Like, I think our generation's doing a good job about combating that, but they can do an even better job if they're able to partner with people from other generations 
who have been working on that before us, because I know we're not the ones who just came up and started doing it. Like, I know there's been people <laughs> working on it before what? us. <laughs> this is new news. Yeah. I know. Surprise. <laughs> you live in an like, ahistorical vacuum. What? 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 but like being able to make that partnership like what Vanessa what you're working on like being able to have that two-way street with a youth and an adult where they're able to make that change um, and continue that change and then teaching that youth how to do it for the people under them because there's that next generation generation alpha that's coming after our generation it's like we got to learn how to work with them now because we're no longer the youngest generation. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does it feel? How does it feel? No, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. It is. Yeah. It is. All of Gen Z's already like disowned Gen Alpha and it's like, nope, you guys don't exist. <laughs> I know. It's like we like being the youngest child. We get all the attention. Yeah. But now, you know, they're coming in. But we have to honestly, we have to like learn how to not not only be the ones that are like the student in that role, but also that adult in that role. And we got to learn how to do that. Like Riley's learning how to transition from like being that youth mm. at CYL to the adult leader at oh, CYL. It's weird. it's weird, but I feel like it's imperative. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you have to go through that at some point, especially if you're a youth leader and then you learn so much. You, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a perfect opportunity to do something with that and create that space that you experienced for somebody else. Right. I, I like that, like creating what you experience. Like you want your positive experiences to go on to someone else and you want to keep that negative experience from them. So Yeah. 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 And looking to like the future and growth and how you talked about, you know, going from a CYL youth to an adult, where do you see yourself going, you know, with your environmentalism campaign and... Um, so right now I probably only have about one year of college left. So after that, like academically, um, I want to apply to law school, Mm -hmm. go into law, um, advocate for inclusive environmental policy, um, in terms of working with nonprofits, that's something I'm very passionate about, um, because, feel like that's where a lot of change can occur and Mm -hmm. corporate America is not for me. Um, (laughs) I would not fit in well there. And I feel like the nonprofit sector is where, where I would be able to fit better in. Um, But continuing to work with organizations like CYL and 350 Colorado that actively work to empower youth Mm -hmm. and to create grassroots change, because I think that's that's going to be really important in our future. Um, so even after like going through academia and potentially coming out with a law degree, um, <laughs> continuing to work in those nonprofit spaces mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just working on that grassroots change. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So Vanessa, I know you're talking about you de- you developed uh, like curriculum for different schools and those kids. Um, what would you like to see? teaching our generation um, in the now and in the future? What would you like to see included in that curriculum? A lot of things. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to shout out the the young women behind the, you know, the No Justice, No Peace curriculum mm-hmm. that is getting pushed forward right now in DPS. I think they're doing a phenomenal job of saying like, hey, black history is American history and yeah. everybody benefits if we actually know what happened, right? Yeah. Like, so I just want to shout out like there's phenomenal work that's youth led and youth driven like happening now. I think the... 
other big part, so I've named the Youth Participatory Action Research. Mm -hmm. I'm a community-based researcher, so like I'm biased, right? But I really think (laughs) that being able to understand the logic of quantitative and qualitative methodology Mm -hmm. is a tool because I'm, I'm a qualitative scholar. Like math charts, like percentages, like p-values, all of that. Oh my gosh, no, I get it. I'm taking stats. I get it. It's not my jam. (laughs) I am fortunate that I can be charming and that quant people will help me, right? Right. Because one of the reasons why I opted for sociology for the doctorate coming out of the arts was feeling... Uh, out of my league or out of my depth when Mm -hmm. confronted with a chart or a table that looks so official and polished and final and then taking graduate level statistics and realizing the numbers are all made up, right? right? And that (laughs) every study is biased and there's like this like fake gold standard, right, of like quantitative logic. But then you're like, okay, well, cool. Like if you're doing this like population survey and you're leaving out all folks who are biracial, multiracial, check more than one box because it's inconvenient and throws off like your numbers, Mm -hmm. you have a problem because it's the fastest growing population in the U.S. census. So it was those types of aha moments that I was mad I didn't get until my 20s, right? And so I think a lot of what I want to see in curriculum, it's really similar to why I do the work that I want to do is... I want to be the type of adult or create the type of environments I didn't have and really think that every young person deserves. Mm -hmm. And so with curriculum, it's the same thing. I wasn't introduced to like some of those uh, like black feminist thinkers or some of the the big broad ideas until college. And I was mad for a minute, Mm -hmm. y'all. Like I was real, real mad. Like someone was like holding out. And so when I think about curriculum, I think there needs to be space for young folks to learn like the foundations of critical thinking Mm -hmm. because everything is biased. Like when I I used to be a graduate instructor at CU Boulder, no matter what class I was teaching, like eventually like the first week, I always included like these are the the foundations of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. I too, as your instructor, am biased Mm -hmm. and will always be sure to say this is from the study, the research, the reading, or this is my personal opinion based on lived experience, right? Right. But this idea that you can accept anything at face value is something I'd always push back at, uh, really, really push back on. Mm-hmm. In addition, of course, to like more inclusive and more diverse content, so that like what we were talking about a bit earlier, you need to see it to believe it. Mm-hmm. Like representation matters in that sense, and being able to know well, what is possible for someone like right. me. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's awesome. Um, So as we wrap up here, we're going to start doing something called our call to action. So I would like to ask you guys, what would you like um, your call to action be? It can be to generations before or after you or your generation. My call to action in this sense would really be to my fellow adults who are doing work from most often like really well-intentioned, well-meaning places. Mm -hmm. But my call to action is asking adults to stop and reflect and consider, first off, how does who you are influence how you show up? And what do you need to unlearn in order to actually partner with youth? That's good. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) If like you know, a fraction of folks in youth development, youth services would stop and ask themselves those questions. Mm-hmm. Ooh, folks, we'd yes, be in a much better spot. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> just, just say. All right, Riley. 
Um, I think mine will also be to the adults. I think if you're, um, if you are preaching inclusivity Mm -hmm. and you are preaching youth engagement, are those youth in the room when you are making those decisions? Because if they are not, that is not inclusivity and that is not empowering youth. So if you're talking about making for example, environmental policy more inclusive. Mm-hmm. You need BIPOC folks there. You need old people, older <laughs> people. <laughs> well seasoned. <laughs> well seasoned folks. Thank you. Thank you. Well seasoned folks. You need young people. You need people from every lived experience in that room in mm-hmm. order to make it inclusive. Right. Because if you're painting it as inclusive and that's not happening, good luck. That's not inclusive. Right. Again, that's like the name of our podcast, Generation Collaboration, like working with each generation to get inclusivity, to get the best ideas, to learn. I think the big thing is learn Mm -hmm. about other people's stories and being that leader where you can go out and share your personal experiences and open up and share those authentic stories. And then you get others around you to do the same. Like, I feel like that's going to create a very, very positive, beneficial workplace, learning center, whatever it should be. Yeah, and that right there is how you create change. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Vanessa and Riley. If you're interested in learning more about our guests, you can find Vanessa at Project Voice's website, projectvoice.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Project Voice Denver. And follow Riley on Instagram at Riley Rue Ruff. Today's episode of Generation Collaboration was engineered by Matthew Kelly and edited by David Layden. This show is produced by David Layden and Lauren Steve Pack. Generation Collaboration is a co-production of Colorado Young Leaders and Youth on Record. Learn more about Colorado Young Leaders at their website, coloradoyoungleaders.org, or on their Instagram at cooyoungleaders. You can see all the productions of Youth on Record on their website, youthonrecord.org, or on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Youth on Record. Our theme song, Find It, was recorded at Youth on Record by Esme Patterson with Johnny Five from Flowbots, Ian Cook, and members of the Youth on Record community. Support of our podcast comes from Civico, Colorado's community leadership development organization. Learn more about them at livecivico.org. That's L-I-V-E-C-I-V-I-C-O.org. 